How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time. We're going to sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again. <clears throat> going to continue on where we left off. We are in the Gospel of Matthew, so please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, and we're going to pick up at verse 4. So previously, what we've been talking about is the order of the family, the order of the home, the order that God has made, that God has set, that God has ordained. Talking about these things uh, in uh, just what does the Bible in and of itself flat out have to say about it? Um, as we know that many people differ in thought and opinion and belief and all this, and everybody's entitled to their opinion, their beliefs and all that stuff. But uh, what we're looking at is just what does the Bible flat out have to say. So if you're interested in what does God have to say about these things, then this is the place for you. <clears throat> we don't dwell upon uh, personal opinions or feelings, any of these things. We just, what does Scripture say? We're here we are born-again Christians sitting down with the Word of God, just taking a look and studying at what God has said. Thus saith the Lord. So hope this... Uh, interests you and if it does come join us grab your bibles notepads and pens grab your tea grab your coffee it's time to study the word of god all right so with that being said <clears throat> time to get into it so again folks i'm brother matthew the outlaw preacher and uh it doesn't matter what the world says. We have to obey God rather than men. So we're going to uh, come to the table to worship our Lord God, Jesus Christ. For there is none else. For there's none other none other beside him, higher than him, greater than him. That is his name. For there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. Or at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, whether they want to or not. So we're going to preach... The Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of Christ, the power of Christ. We're going to be preaching the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only way of salvation, the only resurrected Savior from the only true word. This is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the Lord God, Jesus Christ. All other that call themselves gods are false gods, for they are not gods, as the Lord himself flat out says. So, we're going to come in uh, the power of Christ to study the word of Christ. And if people don't like it, then go somewhere else. <laughs> uh, I'm already pumped up, says Purely. Awesome. Good. So good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining in. Okay. So Matthew chapter 19, and we're down to verse 4. Now, we've already, already kind of gone over this, and we're just going to do a quick summarization of some things, and we're going to continue on. But I really want to emphasize on one thing here. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Have ye not read? Have ye not read? Now, I find that interesting, as uh, recently... Uh, there is an individual, I had to delete their comment and block them as they were getting quite angry and belligerent and all this. But uh, it was on one post I made on Instagram and they commented, 
you need to stop leaning on doctrine. You need to stop leaning on your doctrines uh, as a, a, attacking me and accusing me of, of leaning too much on Bible, uh, on the Bible, on scripture. Stop leaning on doctrines. Well, you understand that doctrine is just the teachings. Doctrines are just the teachings. So when people say stop leaning on doctrine, you're literally saying stop leaning on the teachings of the Bible and what the Bible flat out says. And when Jesus says here, have ye not read? And then we back this up, we take a look at other points where Jesus is talking about the scriptures. And we, we see Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness. For it is written, it is written, it is written. The, the word of God, the doctrines, the teachings, the scriptures are authority in all things. People say, well, you're just worshiping the Bible. Um, that, that statement doesn't make any sense. Because we take a look at what the Bible is, what the scriptures are, are the very words of the living God. God himself literally spoke these words. These are, are the instructions, the teachings from God of God's mind, of God's truth, his spirit. His spirit came down and spoke to his servants, told them what to write, and he preserves his word unto all generations. So his, and it says, his word is above, is magnified above his very name. So just think about that one just for a moment. His word is magnified, for thou hast magnified thy word above thy name, is what it says. All right, how high and holy are the names of God? Can someone tell me how high and holy are the names of God? Read the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And even the devils believe and tremble. His name is the only name under heaven for salvation. His names are powerful and holy and true. And he says in his word, he has magnified his word above his name. So if we were to call into question the veracity of scripture, that then would denote we're then calling into question the very veracity of the names of God. So have you not read what the word of God is and what it's about and what it says? If we are... If we are in any way, shape, or form, then <clears throat> elevating anything else, other writings, commentaries, feelings, visions, experiences, traditions, whatever, as equal to or surpassing the authority of Scripture, you, you then are elevating all these things above the names of God. You're saying your traditions are higher than the names of God. You are saying your experiences and your visions and your feelings and your opinions are more powerful than the names of God. Am, or am I wrong in that assumption? But uh, that's what I get from that. <clears throat> and when we take a look at the at this, what the scriptures are all about and how they justify themselves and you can't destroy it you can't get rid of it you can't invalidate it. you you can't you can't find fault in the scriptures people have tried since since the the dawn of the writing of scripture people have tried and they've all failed and we still remain though the grass withers the flowers fade his word will stand forever his word is above his very name 
as as we see that uh, that not one jot nor one tittle shall always pass from the word of the law to all be fulfilled. So, it is written. Have you not read? When when we take a look at some of these things and people bring up weird ideas and opinions and beliefs in these things, many people get really frustrated with me because I just keep quoting scripture. I just say, well, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says this, and the Bible says this, and the Bible says this, and people get upset. And but in the back of my mind, it's just just this. Have you not read? Like. How can you call yourself a Christian? How can you call yourself a disciple of Christ? How can you call yourself a believer in the Lord God of the Bible and directly contradict what the Bible flat out says? Have you not read? You see so many people preaching or believing or advocating or promoting weird ideas and beliefs and opinions and things and practices and traditions that just go contrary to Scripture. And it's like, well, have you not read? What does the Bible flat out say? Have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? And we covered that in the last broadcast. And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Now here's something I just want to point out. <clears throat> I know I've covered this before and I don't really need to go into heavy detail, but you know what I mean. Um... <clears throat> In, in a marriage, to have a successful marriage, you need to understand, <clears throat> excuse me, that the husband and the wife are not two independent persons working together, living together. You have surrendered your independency and become dependent on each other. You become dependent on each other. When you kind of see yourself or feel yourself as, as independent, even in the marriage, that marriage is going to have a lot of problems and is going to fail. As you see in the Bible, the twain shall be one flesh, like one person. You work as one person, one unit of one individual, of one name, bound together by God. That you need to stop trying to be independent. You need to be dependent on your spouse. See, this is what this is saying here. This is what the Lord is getting at. The twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, no more two people. But one flesh. One flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Well, we see uh, there's many different angles we can take at this, and we've already kind of covered it in a bit. What God has joined together. You see, you didn't join it. The preacher didn't. The government didn't. The government actually doesn't get say in this. God is the one that ordains marriage, not the government. But uh, anyways, um, what God has joined together. You're married because God God has sealed the vows. God is joined to you. Let not man put asunder. And we see in this world, there's so many people that that uh, look down on marriage. Especially these days, saying you don't even need to be. You can go shack up and whatever else. God calls that fornication and immorality. But God has joined together. Let not man put asunder. And we see so much in, of divorce and all these things going on today. 
and also uh, a society trying to advocate that, uh, for example, not that uh, women don't need men and that the wives can be independent from their husbands. Well, God says we're supposed to work together. We're supposed to work as one unit. And the same goes in the other, other way. We see many men as uh, mistreating their wives, not treating the wives properly. Or we see in certain certain groups or whatever, the the uh, uh, the men were ruling the house with an iron fist. And, and we see them being disrespectful to the wives and treating the wives as less. And that's, that's accursed. God says you are... Work, you're to work together, you're equals in the eyes of God. Now, yes, uh, the husband is the, is the head of the house, is what the Bible says, but that doesn't mean you lord it over in, in a dictatorial type of attitude. Just to love your wife as you, as you love yourself, and the wives are to honor and cherish the husbands and, 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 uh, as they would their, themselves as well. So we see how we're supposed to work together. And that marriage is a picture, as you see as well in, in throughout the Bible. We see the picture of marriage, uh, like uh, as Christ and the church, the bridegroom and the bride. We, we see that that relationship, that close relationship, uh, that loving, respectful relationship, and that marriage it, it is a picture of that. And how this is how we're supposed to treat this. So why would we want to put this image, uh, this uh, picture that God has given? Why would we have to put this apart? Why would we want to rip this up? Why would we want to be anything else than what the Lord has given, what the Lord has ordained? And so the Lord is explaining this. The Lord Jesus is explaining this. And these individuals, the Pharisees, don't like this. They don't like control. They want to be the ones in control. Uh, they don't want God to be in control. They want themselves to be in control. They see themselves as the guardians, um, the, the protectors, the rulers, the teachers, and they call the shots and all things, and no one else is equal to them. They don't like this. And so they're trying to fault find Jesus' teaching here. And they said, well, why then didn't Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and put her away? If what you're saying is true, then why did Moses give a writing of divorcement? And Jesus says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away waves, but from the beginning it was not so. Is that you kept insisting, insisting, and so Moses uh, gave this bill, and we take a look at the biblical uh, bill of divorcement again, divorce does not mean unmarried. See, that's one of the big faults of, uh, of today. People think divorce means unmarried. Nullification of the marriage vows. And as Jesus said, as we see a few times in Scripture, that divorce and remarriage is adultery. That's what the Bible says, and if people don't like that, well, that's what the Bible says. But we see here, as Jesus says, but from the beginning it was not so. That's not how it's supposed to be. It never was that until, until you and your fathers forced the hand of Moses to make a form of exception in this. I see, and I say unto you, uh, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication. And again, I, I covered that. Like for example, if uh, the if the woman or the man lies about the being being virgin, this kind of thing, and when they go to 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 be married and it's found out, well, that's nullified there. But uh, 
but that's the only exception there uh, in that case if there's uh if there's a uh, untruth being told of a hiding of immorality and that kind of thing then there's exception in that but whoso marrieth her which is put away doth not commit uh, sorry whoever marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery this, this is again does not mean that this woman is unmarried free for marriage to anyone else that's not what that means it uh, as we see her puts her what to put away to put aside this again is to fix the issue to find a way around uh, around to uh, to, uh, to console the problem to to get back together this is what the what the whole biblical divorces thing is for but uh again for those that the person's put away the if a woman marries the the man some other woman marries the man that's adultery if someone else marries the woman that's adultery because as we see divorce does not mean unmarried in the bible uh whosoever marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery the disciples sent him if 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 the case of the man be so with his wife it is not good to marry and they say well and the disciples then pipe in well if that's the case i guess the best way around this is to, to be on the safe side just don't get married at all <laughs> well as we as we see here <clears throat> as apostle paul uh in one point he does say that uh, that uh it is better to marry than to burn uh, meaning that if you have a great desire you need that companionship and you want to be married well get married it's not wrong to get married but if you can contain meaning if it, if it's not that big of an issue with you and you don't mind being single and you don't have that desire uh, really or need to be married to have that companionship then it is good to be single because you can serve the lord easier because married you got to look after your family and all this stuff then being single it is easier to uh, to serve the lord and all these things and you don't have other responsibilities but uh but again as we see in first timothy 4 there are some though in society and we see like for example in the catholic church is a celibacy the teaching of celibacy um of enforcement of this um Okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared the hot iron, forbidding to marry. Doctrine of devils. Forbidding to marry. You shouldn't get married. The doctrine of devils. Now, again, if you just don't want to, you don't really see a need to or whatever in your own personal life, you don't have to. But forbidding to marry, forbidding to be saying you shouldn't, you don't need to, and instructing people that that that, uh, that they can, even in other aspects and angles of this, of just you can just live together and all that kind of thing, no no that that's all doctrines of devils marriage is an honorable thing is a is a good thing is a holy thing is given by god is instructed by god and that you that you should but 
you don't have to it's not it's not law in that you have to get married if you want to be if you want to be single but if you're single you need to guard your heart guard your mind all these things and keep yourself uh before the lord okay um so but he said unto them but jesus says unto his disciples all men cannot receive this saying save they to whom it is given now, not all are able to keep these things able to receive this uh, receive this about uh, being single and about uh, the instruction of marriage so, some are able to be single some aren't save they to whom it is given for there are some eunuchs which which were so born from their mother's womb and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men that, uh, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake he that is able to receive it let him receive it now again it's just whatever state you find yourself in you give that to the lord um verse 13 then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray and the disciples rebuked them so we see going from situation we see order instruction of home marriage morality um the husband and wife relationship and all these things what the bible says about the order of god as god has given and ordained we talked about uh childlike faith and the faith of a child and all this now we're switching gears here in verse 13 then they were brought unto him little children that the lord jesus would put his hands on and pray for them bless them and the disciples rebuked them disciples rebuked them now why well if we take a look at what's going on we see jesus is in the midst there's all of his disciples and the pharisees and the multitude and they're having uh, uh teaching instruction and debate important stuff's going on and and there's some people now suddenly showing up in the middle of the group to come to jesus and they're bringing a whole bunch of little kids now some people would say well you shouldn't do that this is an adult thing and the kids need to be put out and the kids have no no part in this and they're just a distraction and hindrance and they're noisy and and all this you know god made children being disrespectful to children because they're children is being disrespectful and dishonorable to that which god made now as i said before there was a preacher that said something i can't remember who who it was says god put the wiggle in kids stop trying to take it out and especially if the little children the little kids want to come to jesus want to hear about jesus want to see jesus they they want to know more and they want to ask questions about the faith all this stuff don't you dare dissuade them and jesus says suffer the little children forbid them not to come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven if the child wants to know more and is asking lots of questions don't you dare get tired and irritated with them don't you dare dissuade them from the faith don't treat them less for these little minds are innocent and pure and and are soaking up everything that you're showing so pour upon them the faith the love of Christ um, be patient with them as the Lord is patient with you as we are children in the eyes of God as the, as the Lord is patient long suffering and teaching uh, uh, teaching to us so should we be to, to little children 
So you see here, suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Then he laid his hands on them and departed thence. We see the Lord's attitude towards children, what the Lord has to say about little kids and all this stuff. Now I understand that there that there are points in, in of the service and stuff and about distractions. Well, that comes down to the parents. The parents should be controlling their kids properly. Should be treating, uh, teaching, and instructing and disciplining their kids properly. The kids are unruly. That's the parents' fault. Don't uh, don't uh, cause issue with the kids and restricting what the kids are able to hear because of this. You need to talk to the parents. And the parents need to control the kids properly. Now, childlike faith, childlike innocence, as we covered this before, I know things have really changed as we see the way that uh, young people are and kids are in our society today. Well, a lot of the issues and problems, like I said, comes down to the parents' fault. Like I said, if you want to know what's going on in the home, just watch the kids. Watch the kids' behavior, their actions, all these things. Children reflect their parents. Children reflect their parents. Parents need to... Need to control and discipline their children as in, as the word of God says as a, a before the Lord as again these children are a blessing of God and to respect the kids as well many many parents are quite disrespectful to their own kids I have seen that and it is unfortunate it's not it's not always the case but it, it's just the, the way I see some parents now disrespect towards kids is not just you know they're being belligerent mean and that whatever but also disrespectful in that the parents even restrict discipline won't discipline children need structure they need discipline they need to learn order they need to learn respect of adults, respect of their superiors, but it needs to be done properly before God in a biblical sense. And that day you don't beat your children. That's just that's just mean. That's just meanness. And you don't just let your kids be wild weeds. So you need to bring them before the Lord and teach them the morality and the ways of the Lord, instruct them in the fear and the honor of the Lord. Uh, train up a child in the ways you go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the children need to learn to honor, love, and respect, and fear the parents. The children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So children need to learn, as, as you obey God in all things, as you see, there's a picture here of the parent-child relationship, is a picture of the Christian-Christ relationship. Just as the marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, parent and child is a picture of God and us. Now your parents aren't God, but how but how you love, honor, and respect the Lord, you love, honor, and respect your parents. They're your parents. You obey your parents. And and as the as for the parents and your relationship before God as he is graceful, merciful, long-suffering, and forgiving to you, so should you be in gentleness and meekness and mercy towards your kids. 
And as God disciplines you, God looks after you, so you look after your kids. See, it's all a flow-down picture image. So suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And this is a callback to what the Lord had said previously about the faith of a child. And he laid his hands on them to bless them and then departed. As purely quoted here, exactly. Uh, Proverbs 13, 24. The one who spares the rod hates his, hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Exactly. Spare the rod, spoil the child. This is talking about discipline itself. It's not talking about beating your kids. Uh, no, the Bible doesn't advocate beating your kids. This is, uh, this is uh, uh, words used to describe discipline and sometimes the need for strict discipline. As we, we all know, we know what we were like when we were young. That we can be quite obstinate and unruly. And sometimes the parents need to be a bit more strict, a little more hard-handed to, to, to curb that rebellion and that bad behavior. As the Lord does with us sometimes. As we need it. And I've said it before, that uh, I am absolutely thankful... I, I, I have thanked my parents multiple times for correcting me, disciplining me, and raising me the way they did. I know what I'm like, and I'm glad that they didn't let me get away with it. I am very glad that I've thanked my mom, I've thanked my dad for disciplining me, for correcting me, uh, for curbing this, because... It really did help me out in the long run. As I look back and we see how, how uh, what they have taught me and shown me, it pays off. <clears throat> so we see there is a proper behavior in all these things. Is there's a uh, there's a biblical model that we should be modeling our family structure after, not by well, this is how I think the family should be. No, your feelings are irrelevant. The Word of God says. I believe the family order should be this because this is what the Bible says. There you go. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Word of God says. <clears throat> so, train up a child in the way he should go when he is older not depart from it. And children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And as we see as well, as yes, the fathers don't... Uh, uh, but but uh, fathers abusing your kids... Uh, the children would would hate the parents so we see that there is a model of grace and long-suffering and gentleness there's the hand of god in all of this that uh, as the lord's hand is upon us so our hand should be in in image as a shadow of this as a picture of this uh, it should be the same towards our children Okay, so we wrap this up <clears throat> talking about the order of the family, the home, and uh, society, and morality, and all these things. And uh, he laid his hands on them uh, to bless them, pray for them, and departed thence. Verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, as he's talking about all this, talking about order and structure and all these things, and about uh, the faith of a child, and as we, if we back up in uh, chapter 18, verse 3, 
Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So again, the faith of a child. The faith of a child. And then we have this guy comes in, verse 16, and uh, chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said to him, Good master, what, should, what, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, the Lord just said about the structure, the order of all things, and that there's a structure in order to be able to get into heaven. What did Jesus say? Except you be converted, become as little children. So again, what 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 have what have little children done to earn? What have they done? They believe what they're told. Little kids, they've done nothing. They don't merit. They don't earn. But what what it is for little kids? It is given. They accept. They believe what they're told. And we compare this with the rest of the word of God, that it's not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. It's by the faith of Jesus Christ. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. As the little children are given gifts, they are told and they are given. The kid, little kids, they can't earn anything, they don't do anything. Uh, they are innocent. Little, little kids, and they just believe what they've been told. They have faith in what they've been told. So we take a look at this, and this is, again, a cross-reference in Mark 10, 18. Good master. Now, Jesus, in the way he addresses this, Why callest thou me good? For there is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Well, and then he goes on to explain. So if we take a look at this, Why callest thou me good? So you see, Jesus, he breaks down what this man has said here. As Jesus is instructing, he's teaching. This one is asking questions. Come, as, as a child comes and asks questions, and now he is going to instruct. He's going to break it down to, in simplicity to help give an understanding. And if we hold your finger here, go over to Mark 10, 18. Now, this is a passage in Mark 10, 18, that is the... Um, you could call it the holy grail of uh, of Muslim Muslim apologetics. Where they love to use this passage to try to refute the deity of Jesus Christ. But if we take a look at what's actually going on, okay, so if we in Mark chapter ten, verse seventeen, Mark ten seventeen. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Okay, so then Jesus breaks this down into a couple points that he's going to address. And Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good? So we see goodness. He's going to be addressing goodness. So there is none good but one that is God. So when we take a look at the rest of the word of God. Uh, unlike what Joel Osteen says, Joel Osteen says 99% of all people of the world are good. Jesus says there's none good. Jesus says there's none good. And if we cross-reference cross this with the rest of Scripture, for all have fallen away. All are become corrupt. There's none that doeth good. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Our sin has separated us from God. 
For the wages of sin is death. All are condemned already. So we see that as scripture says, there's none good, no, not one. And all the world, or however you see it, all the world, it could be flat, eh? In all the world, in all the world, there's none good. Now, this is goodness according to God's standard. Goodness according to God's standard. Not ours, not society's, not personal opinion. This is, this is goodness according to God's standard. Now, what is God's standard of good? What is actually God's standard of good? Well, this would be perfect, sinless holiness. Because all sin will be judged. And if you've sinned once, well, that's enough to condemn you. That's enough to separate you from God. God's standard of goodness is perfect, sinless, holiness, righteousness. Now, here's a question. Can we attain sinlessness? In this world, in this life, can we attain sinlessness? In any way, can we attain sinlessness? Um, no. No, we cannot. Saying you can become sinless is saying that you can become good enough to atone for the sins of the whole world yourself. No, we cannot attain sinlessness. But rather, what we do see is that while we are in this world, our soul is saved, our flesh is not. Our soul is saved, our flesh is not. You want to cross-reference that with Romans chapter 7, where Apostle Paul talks about this, about the war between the spirit and the flesh, and how in my flesh that dwelleth no good thing. For I have learned that it is not I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. With the mind I serve the law of God, with the flesh I serve the law of sin. And this is Apostle Paul talking about his own struggles, how he sees himself wretched, a wretched sinner. And Apostle Paul it, it's talked about how he saw the sin of his own flesh and his own struggles of, of the nature of the things, the things I want to do, I, I, I can't do, the things I don't want to do, I do, all wretched men that I am. And if you could say you can become sinless, you're literally saying you're better than the Apostle Paul. No, we cannot attain sinlessness. If any man say he is not sinned, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. But rather, what we see is the Lord talking about and addressing that in all the world, there's none good. There's none good. Why callest thou me good? There's none good. In all the world, there is none good. Not one single person in all the world that has any good. Except one. At this point of this time, in this period, right here, in this conversation, Jesus standing on the earth, talking to this, uh, to this young man, Jesus saying, in all the world there's none good but one. That is, God. So unlike what uh, Islamic apologetics and uh, other uh, forms of apologetics that try to, try to refute the deity of Christ doctrine, uh, Jesus is actually saying, that he is the only good in the entire world at this period right here standing on the earth. There's none good but one that is God. 
all right? So if we go back, hold your finger here in Mark and go back here just for a moment in Matthew 19. And Jesus then says to him, because I also want to touch on something else that a lot of people are confused on. And Jesus says here, but there's none good but one that is God. But if thou, thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Wait a minute. Is Jesus saying you get to heaven by keeping the commandments? Is that what he's saying here? Well, this is why it's important to cross-reference. This is why it's important to not cherry-pick, but to not pair scripture with scripture, rightly dividing word of truth, search the scriptures uh, to see if these things are so. Is Jesus saying in Mark, in, uh, sorry, is Jesus saying in Matthew 19, verse 17, is Jesus saying that you get to heaven by keeping the commandments? Is that what Jesus said here? Well, let's keep reading. So Jesus says, but if thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. And the, the young man says in verse 18, says, well, which, which commandments? Jesus says, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 20. The young man says, Well, all these things have I kept from my youth. What, what lack I yet? Well, I've done that. But I've done that. I've kept all those commandments. I've not broken them. I, I have kept all those commandments. I am perfect. I am good. Okay, hold your finger there. Go over to Mark. Okay, so in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. This young man, he's trying so hard. He's trying to understand. We're seeing Jesus loved him. We, we see the mercy, the grace of Jesus Christ here. This guy, he, he's, he's so close. He's just, he's just missing something here. And then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, says, One thing thou lackest. Because he says over here in Matthew, he says, All these things have I kept from my youth. What, what, what lack I yet? What, what am I missing? But I've done that. What am I missing? And Jesus says, One thing thou lackest. Because what does it say? Rich, young, ruler. Now let's just for a moment play Sherlock Holmes on this guy okay now we don't know as it's not written in here we don't know the attitude we don't know if he's coming in in arrogance or we don't know tone we don't know how he's talking in the tone of his voice but uh, but we do know he's rich and he's a ruler so he's of he's a, of a high of a higher degree. We see he's a businessman. He's got lots of wealth, lots of power. We see he was raised 
in uh, in uh, teaching of the scriptures and all these things we also see he's humble enough he's humble enough though to come and he fell before the lord kneeling to the kneeling to jesus and and is imploring of jesus about salvation so he's he's young malleable so he's his mind is still open to uh, to understanding to teaching but he does have some problems though with arrogancy pride he's quite filled with pride because as we go by his own words here he thinks himself sinless he thinks himself perfect that he's that he's kept the kept the law of god and he hasn't broken them i kept all these things from my youth that i have never broken the laws of god really and jesus beholding him loved him says well because you asked what what am i lacking well you lack one thing i'll tell you i'll tell you one thing thou lackest in mark chapter 10 verse 21 one thing thou lackest jesus says go your way sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven now some bible versions would agree with that some bible versions would end right there because in some modern bible bible translations the very last line of verse 21 is omitted if you actually keep reading verse 21 of mark 10 in the original manuscripts of the majority text documents it says it doesn't just say sell whatsoever thou hast give to the poor and thou shalt treasure in heaven it also says and come take up the cross and follow me now what is the point of the commandments the law does the law save no as you see in galatians chapter 3 it says the law is a schoolmaster for sin to bring us unto christ to help us to understand our need because the law is not given to the righteous men but to the unrighteous to the unholy and the profane the law reveals sin for if there had been a law which could have given life verily righteousness should have been by the law but it is not it is by the faith of christ for it is not not by works it's not by righteous works it's not by works of the law the deeds of the law for by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified but by the faith of christ so we see that rather here what jesus is pointing out one thing thou lackest what jesus is pointing out to this one who thinks that they're good enough they think they're holy enough they think they're righteous enough they think they've kept the law good enough but if you actually take a look at all the words of god all the law you'll see your flaw you'll see your sin you'll see your need because what jesus says here go sell whatsoever thou hast why did he say that it's not a commandment one thing thou lackest sell everything you have wait a minute that's not a commandment that wasn't in the law but why did jesus say that because he was rich and had many possessions like it says and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions sell whatsoever thou hast to give to the poor thou shalt treasure in heaven thou shalt not covet 
You see, the law reveals your sin. Can the law, which is, which is, which is a curse, as it says the law is a curse. The law does not save. The law is not salvation. The law is a curse unto sin. It reveals all of your sin. It reveals your need. And once you see your sin, you see your need. Then you need an atonement. Then you must need a sacrifice for the atonement for sin, for the penalty for sin, for the wages of sin is death. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. You can't keep the law. The law does not save. Keeping commandments and obeying commandments doesn't save you. Because the whole point is, you can't keep the commandments. They are not meant to be kept. They are meant to be observed, to studied, seen, read, to see your sin. Because you can't keep the law. You can't keep the commandments. You break it every five minutes or less. Anyone who says they keep the commandments, keep the law, is a liar. Anyone who says they have not broken is a liar. Thou shalt not lie. The point of the law is to, is to reveal your sin, reveal your need of a savior. What must I do to be saved? What good thing shall I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, now let's go over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Because someone else asked Jesus the same question. The same thing. They asked Jesus the same thing in John chapter 6. John 6, 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. God commands all men everywhere to repent. The commandment of God to repent and believe on his son. Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one in all the world. There's none good but one. That is God. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. He is the, he is the goodness of God incarnate. He is the word of God incarnate. He is the power of God incarnate. He is the spirit of God incarnate. He is God almighty incarnate. This is the true God and eternal life. As Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, when she says, we know that when, when the Messiah comes, which is called Christ, he'll teach us all things. Jesus says, I that speak unto thee am he. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, the child born son given is called the mighty God everlasting father. Jesus is goodness. He is greatness. Jesus is God. Jesus says, it's not by works, it's not by righteous works, it's not by works of the law. Jesus says it is by belief on him, as we see in John chapter 3, with Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For when you believe on the Son, you believe on him, you will have everlasting life. For those who believe are saved already, but those who have not believed are condemned already. Unbelief damns you. Unbelief damns you. We take a look at uh, at uh, Mark 16 just for a moment. Look what Jesus says here. So they say, well, it's not faith only. You got to be baptized for salvation. Look at it. And they uh, they quote Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. See, see? 
But look what it says. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Unbelief damns you. Because it's belief that saves you. It's belief that saves you. Unbelief damns you. Let's go over to John 3. John 3. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Belief saves you for god sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved he that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of god first john five thirteen, that ye may know that ye have eternal life because you believed it's belief belief it's not works it's not commandments the commandments are to show your need of a savior to show you how you're a sinner that's what the commandments are for the commandments cannot be kept the commandments cannot be kept they are broken because that shows us how we are a sinner and are breaking and have broken the law of god and need a savior that's why he came to save us because we cannot save ourselves Salvation is not of us. It's not of the will of man. Let's go over to John chapter 1 for a moment. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Verse 12. But as many as received him, as received Jesus, to believe on the Lord Jesus, to believe his word, believe what he has said about himself, to believe all these things, those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to many as received him, to them gave he power. He gave the power. Jesus says, and I give them eternal life. My sheep, my sheep, which are called by my name, follow me. I give unto them eternal life. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men but of God. We're born of God, not of our will, not of our power, not of our blood, not of anything that we have brought. We are born of the power of God. God gives us eternal life. We don't earn it. It's not by our power, not by our will. Look at this, John 1, 13, which were born not of blood, meaning our blood, we didn't pay. We cannot atone. That destroys Catholicism. Not of our blood, nor of the will of the flesh, not by our works, not by our commandment keeping, not by our goodness, nor of the will of men. I cannot will salvation, but of God. God gives eternal life. God is the one that bestows it. You believe what he says, he saves you. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You say, yes, Lord, I believe. He saves you. You cannot control salvation. You cannot dictate salvation. I cannot do it. And we cannot keep the commandments. We cannot keep the law. We cannot be good enough. We cannot atone for anything. And us is nothing but the need to be saved. And we go over to Ephesians. Ephesians. Chapter 1. Verse 7, in whom, Jesus Christ, we have redemption. Redemption means to be redeemed, bought out, changed, saved, made new. We are redeemed. Now, the word redeemed has an interesting picture behind it. Ephesians 1, 7, redemption. 
it means more than just being purchased the it's actually uh, purchased from a state of complete inability like a slave market as the bible says we are slaves to sin we are already condemned the enemies of god condemned in our sins uh, lost in our sins enemies of god enemies of all righteousness children of the devil heirs of hell um, so we're in the slave market chained up we have nothing we have no freedom no liberty we have nothing chained up in our sins slaves to sin and he comes because the wages the penalty of the price the wages of sin is death without shedding of blood is no remission of sin so the price is death and blood jesus comes with the death and blood of himself behold the lamb of god which takes away the sin of the world he comes with the full price and purchases us out of the slave market of sin and condemnation we are redeemed can the slave earn anything themselves no they have no freedom they have no liberty they have nothing they have nothing to offer but they can accept a gift when uh, when the one comes and says says i have purchased i have the price do you want to be free and they come to you and they give you that moment of enlightenment of understanding of what they have to offer this the work of the holy ghost hebrews 6 4 to 6 they enlighten the mind he enlightens the mind and gives you the glimpse of the taste of the light of gives you the understanding of the moment and you see the offer is presented before you do you want to be saved do you want to be free? And the slave turns in the, the, the jangling of the chains, rustles around and looks and sees the free gift of salvation and freedom, of mercy, of liberty, of Jesus Christ. And the slave says, yes, I want to be free. The chains fall off. Just as Paul and Silas in the dungeon, the chains fall off, the stocks break open, the door of the cell breaks open, and you are free by the power of God. Not by anything of them, not by anything of me, but it's all of him, his word, his blood, his name, his spirit, his work, and what he has done, because only he can keep the law, because he is God. He is all goodness. He is all greatness. It's his blood, not mine. His will, not mine his works his righteousness his merit not mine he saves us from the condemnation by his will we have redemption we are redeemed through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace but not your by grace are you saved through faith faith is believing trust faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen grace is the unmerited favor of god that slave in the market didn't merit anything they are guilty they are condemned they've been judged already and found wanting they are condemned already in their sins because they've already broken the law they are guilty of the law they are not they are not worthy they've merited nothing but it's the but it's the unmerited favor of free gift mercy of god who comes to you anyways while we're yet sinners while we were yet sinners christ died for us while we're yet enemies of god enemies of heaven condemned in our sins uh, the children of the devil he comes to us at the market stands before us and offers us the free gift that's the grace of god for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves it is the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Go down to verse 13 of Ephesians 1. In whom, Jesus Christ, ye also trusted. When you trust in the in the, the word which the Lord has given, you trust in the gospel. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. So he comes to you and tells you, he offers you, he enlightens you, he gives you the understanding. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the doctrines of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ according to scripture. The gospel of your salvation, salvation from what? Your sins. Salvation from the condemnation, the wrath of God, the judgment of your sins, which you have brought upon yourself because you're condemned already, because you've already broken the law. The gospel of your salvation in whom, Jesus Christ, also after that ye believed. When you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's instantaneous. Salvation is not earned down the road. It is not something that is given to you way, way later. It is instantaneous, immediate, right here, right now, right at this spot. That you're standing there chained up like Paul and Silas in the dungeon. The moment the Lord gave it to them, they were free. The stocks and chains and cell all broke open. The chains immediately break off. You are you are saved that you may know that you have eternal life it is instantaneous at this moment right here right now i am saved now i will be i am i am right here right now i got into an argument with a fellow yesterday who was arguing that salvation is not given at the moment of belief but salvation is given down the road it is something you earn that you have to endure to the end to be saved no Matthew 24, endure to the end, be saved. He's talking about the tribulation. It's not That's not a salvationary passage. And he's arguing that salvation is earned and it's down the road. No, no, no. The Bible says it's right here, right now. That's what the word of God says. Have ye not read what the scriptures say? In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30 And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed. Look at this. Ephesians 4.30 And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed. You are sealed. This is present tense. I am sealed right here, right now. The Spirit of God is within me. I'm sealed until the day of redemption. That's the day I go to be with the Lord, whether in, in death or the second coming of Christ. I am saved. So what must I do to be saved? What good thing? What good thing must I do to, to, to earn eternal life? As this rich young ruler says, what good thing? What good thing shall I do? Well, this is the work of Christ. That you believe on him whom he hath sent. What good thing must I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved. This is the order, the structure, the commandment. As we see the order of the family, the order of the church, the order of the home, and the order of salvation. God is a God of order. He's a God of structure. He's a God of set rule, set protocols. This is what it is. This is what the word of God says. This is what I must do to be saved. That the child earns nothing. The child just believes. This is what the Word of God says. This is what the Word of God says. The young man in Matthew chapter 19, go back to Matthew chapter 19, verse 20. The young man says, 
says all these things have i kept from my youth but what what lack i yet jesus says if thou wilt be perfect look if thou wilt be perfect perfection now if we go over to timothy just for a moment we're all over the place in second timothy second timothy chapter 3 verse 16 all scripture is given second timothy 3 16 all scripture is given mean theonoustos god breathed god gave god spoke it all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable meant for everything profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness instruction in righteousness how can i know what is good before god how can i know what is of god scriptures say instruction in righteousness for all doctrine for all understanding of all things verse 17 that for the purpose of that the man of god the servant of god one who wants to obey the lord and wants to follow in the ways of the lord who wants to know what god has given what god instructs in all things that the man of god may be perfect some modern translations that change that that the man of god may be thoroughly equipped no that's not good enough the bible does not just thoroughly equip us the bible the word of god the scriptures are perfect they're perfect they teach us the perfect understanding of god they give us perfect understanding and perfect guidance a perfect comfort in perfect wisdom the word of god is perfect to instruct us in the perfection of god of god's perfect righteousness of how god is perfect that the man of god may be perfect thoroughly furnished into all good works it perfects us in our works it, it gives us the perfect understanding in everything that we do you see that that the man of god may be perfect look what jesus says if thou wilt be perfect matthew 19 21 if thou wilt be perfect go and sell what thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow me because what is perfect the going and selling all that you have if thou wilt be perfect because what is perfection before god we talked about what is greatness before god now let's talk about just for a moment what is perfection before god what does god see as perfect jesus christ is perfect he is perfect god's righteousness is perfect the blood of jesus christ is spotless without blemish the perfect lamb of god he is perfect because in him is no sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin. He's, he's spotless. He is without blemish. The perfect lamb of God. He is perfect. If thou now, if thou wilt be perfect. Well, how can I be like Jesus? I can't. How can I be perfect according to the standard of God? I can't. He makes me. His will, not mine. Not by my effort, his. Not by my merit, his so what i do then repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand go and sell what the house because he is guilty of this he's guilty of pride and coveting 
pride and coveting. These things are, are the most, uh, most notable of his sin. Jesus puts his finger on that which the young man already does know. He already knows this, and he was avoiding that. He thought himself good enough, but he is guilty. Guilty. And Jesus puts his finger on this, that he needs to repent of this. Come, follow me. Believe on me, and thou wilt be perfect. Repent, and believe the gospel, and you will be perfect in the eyes of the Father, because he sees not your goodness, not your righteousness, but the imputed righteousness of jesus christ and when the father looks upon you he doesn't see you he sees his son he sees the righteousness of jesus christ he sees the blood of jesus christ which cleanses us from all sin he sees the spirit of jesus christ that indwells the heart of every believer he sees his son he sees the imputed righteousness of jesus christ that is what is perfect for god is we must die to self we must surrender to the lord believe on the lord and thou shalt be saved saved from the wrath of god saved from the condemnation saved from the damnation of your sin that's what the word of god says and thou shalt treasure in heaven the white robes of righteousness the crown of life that he gives when the young man heard this saying, verse 22 of Matthew 19, verse 22, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. How could he have walked away like this? How could he have walked away? Jesus just told him. He wanted to know. He wanted to know. He came and asked Jesus specifically, why would the young man then just walk away grieved? Why would he go do that? Why would he? How could he just... Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We see that not all men have faith. Not, not everyone can receive this. Why? Not all want to. We see that, as it says in Peter, that God is not willing that any should perish. He calls all men everywhere to repent. That God so loved the world that he gives everybody a chance. I see the sovereign will of God is that he, he, he desires that all will be saved and that all be given this opportunity. But how does the Spirit of God work? He goes out and he convicts, he shows, he offers the gift. It's a gift, not an, not an enforced will. It's a gift. Gifts aren't, in, aren't forced upon. If God just says, okay, I want to save you, I want to save you, I'm going to save you, the rest of you go burn in hell. That's not a gift. Limited atonement doctrine goes against, contradicts Ephesians 2, 8, 9. The unconditional election doctrine contradicts Ephesians 2, 8, 9, contradicts John 3, 16. If God just picks and chooses those he wants to save and those he doesn't, then it's not a gift. But we see... That it's a gift and he offers it unto all he gives everybody a chance and and as you see some though will reject it which the irresistible grace doctrine contradicts hebrews 6 4 to 6. hebrews 6 4 to 6 for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened enlightenment is not salvation enlightenment is not salvation enlightenment is the understanding the knowledge of that i received the understanding you uh, for it is impossible those who are once enlightened and have 
tasted, not eaten. Taste, it's a tasting. And have tasted of the heavenly gift. Gift. And we're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. What's that? The conviction of the Spirit as he instructs you how you're a sinner. That's Galatians chapter 3, the whole book of Galatians, but Galatians 3, that the, the Spirit, the Spirit convicts, uses the law to bring you to the understanding. And have tasted the good word of God, that in this moment you understand and you see how you're a sinner, you see how, how, how he's the Savior, you see what the scriptures say about this. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away, to reject, resist, to, to not take part in what is offered to say no i don't want that gift to go away grieved to go away grieved to go away grieved if they shall fall away how hard it is to renew them again unto repentance because well they've already seen they've already tasted they know what it tastes like they know what it looks like they know what it's about what's to what's to draw them again how can you entice them again it's not new to them they condemn themselves. The young man heard that saying and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions because the things of this world mean more to him. The treasures and the riches of this world mean more to him. He's storing for himself treasure on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. And, and if you were to go over, over there to the Middle East and take a look, if you could find the location of this man's once house, you would see it's completely gone. It's rotted. It's turned to dust. It's rusted and fallen apart. It's all gone. It's all spent. It's all destroyed. What shall it profit a man, though he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall it profit? Then Jesus said to his disciples, verse 23 of Matthew 19, verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Does that mean rich people don't get saved? No, they do, but very few. Why? Well, you don't need anything. You're self-sufficient. You're in need of nothing. You can, you can work, uh, work at uh, providing for every single comfort and pleasure. You don't need anything. You are your own God. His disciples heard it. They were exceedingly amazed, saying, Well, then who then can be saved? It, 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 I don't understand, Lord. But no, no one that has wealth or sufficiency of in any form of independency, uh, anyone rich can't be saved. Is that what you're saying? And Jesus beheld and said unto them, With men this is impossible. With men this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. The people always take this verse out of context. Jesus quoted this verse as a salvationary verse. You see, it would have seemed that Nebuchadnezzar, the, the emperor of Babylon, the, the God emperor of Babylon, the conqueror of Israel, the persecutor of the Jews, the, the torturer of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
He built the giant image and uh, of himself to have people worship him as a god, and he's going to throw people in the burning fiery furnace. You know that guy? He got saved. With men, it's impossible. You see, it's impossible for us to sway an individual of great power and ability like that. It would seem impossible that that person could get saved. A horrendous, self-deluded, self-conceited, self-sufficient, egotistical maniac. It's impossible that they, they, they could be saved. With men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. He turns the hearts and the minds of kings. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and fell before the Lord and repented and got saved and penned Daniel chapter 4. If you go back in the, in the Old Testament, you take a look at Daniel. You take a look at what the scriptures say about this. In Daniel chapter 4, in the first few verses, Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell on dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine own house. Nebuchadnezzar. And there's another one uh, in the Old Testament. You see a Pharaoh Necho. Pharaoh Necho. Pharaoh of Egypt. Pharaoh Necho was a saved man. A servant of the Lord God of Israel. Individuals of power and position can get saved. It's just what the Lord is getting at is that it's very hard for them because they have so many possessions like this ruler as they have many things is they don't want to give up the power of themselves and their own luxuries and their own vanities that to, to them the the fulfillment of the flesh is very powerful it's very very powerful it's easier for a poor person to get saved than it is for a rich person because flesh gets in the way flesh gets in the way with men, this is impossible. This, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Anyone can get saved. Some, it's just a bit more of a fight. Then Peter answered, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all of thee. What shall, what shall we have therefore? What shall we, we we've given up everything. Well, what's our reward? We've given up everything and followed you. What's our reward? Verse 28, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, and the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He talks about, about well, you are saved, and it has been appointed that this is what uh, what's going to happen in the end. That the twelve disciples will, will be sub-rulers, under the Lord, in that in that day, they'll sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, does that mean that all saved will be will, will be placed like this? No. 
the different rewards some of gold some of silver some of brass some of wood some rewards of wood as, as talks about is that, but again it's not it, we're not following the lord to be rewarded it's not about the gifts it's not about the rewards is that God has a set order of what he's already orchestrated, of what he's already ordained, of what he's already set in an order. Now, some may be given some things to do or rewarded some things, but we're not in it for the rewards. We're not in it for the rewards. We're in it for our salvation. We follow the Lord because we want to, because we love him, because of what he's already done for us. It's not about prosperity and power. It's not about wealth. It's not, it's not about attaining riches. It's about attaining Christ. It's about him. He is our reward. He is sufficient for us. He is our everything. Look what he says here. Verse 29. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Shall inherit everlasting life. The Lord will reward and he'll bless you and the power of God shall be with you and you shall have everlasting life. To forsake all things, to forsake all and follow him. Now, does this mean then that we're supposed to literally like sell our houses and cars, give up everything, follow him to follow him? No, that's not what that means. It means to surrender, to give it to the Lord. This is not the Lord's. It is not mine. And also as family, you see, you see uh, uh, brethren or sisters, father, mother, wife, or children, is that the Lord is more important than even this. As Jesus says in another passage, uh, to hated father or mother for my name's sake, doesn't mean you actually hate them. What it means is that the, that the love of the Lord is so superior that, that, you, that you don't care what anyone else says because the Lord's word is more important to you. It, to hate isn't doesn't mean despises and degradation, but it means as to 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 put lower, to put lower, lower than the Lord. That the Lord is your authority. He is your life. It, that everything He says is what you follow. That anyone else's words or, stuff or whatever is irrelevant. And everyone that hath forsaken all for my name's sake, forsaken all for my name's sake. Like, for example, what happened last week here in Canada, uh, Justin Trudeau's new bill, C-11 of his censorship bill of dictating what you can and cannot say online, what you can and cannot say, uh, uh, coupling that with other recent bills as well of spe uh, uh, speech control uh, laws and everything else, not even online, but in person, um, uh, things that you can and cannot say directly go against the word of God. Uh, to forsake even what the government says for the, for the name of Jesus Christ. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what laws they make. They, could, they, they can make whatever laws, protocols they want. I, I literally couldn't care less. We ought to obey God rather than men. They can scream and shout and curse and spit all they want about how you now we command you not to preach in the name of Jesus. You're not allowed to, to preach about specific certain righteousnesses from the Bible and, and not allowed to talk about sin and whatever. You're not allowed to do that. Too bad. Too bad. We ought to be God rather than men for, to forsake self. To forsake self. To forsake your own safety. To forsake your own livelihood. To forsake your, your, own, your own everything. 
you know, you could lose your home for standing up for the Lord. So be it. It's just a wooden box. In a hundred years, this building will be rotted into the ground anyways. Most likely. All money will be spent. Clothes will wear out. Metal will rust. Money is spent. Health fails. Now, all things of this world are irrelevant. It's the name of Jesus Christ. To forsake all. To forsake yourself. Now, for the first step is to for forsake yourself. To repent of your sin. To forsake your pride. Swallow your pride. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And follow him in all things. To put the Lord first in all things. Shall receive a hundredfold. The power of the living God shall be upon you. For he owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He controls all things. Say, well, well, if I do, I could lose my job. And then I, then I can't provide for my home. You're, are you saying that the Lord himself can't provide he can't supernaturally uh, provide for you and your home and your life and your family like he did for all of his saints and his prophets and his disciples all down through time why why are you worrying and fearing and fretting why are you trying to control things you're walking away grieved like the rich young ruler you are diminishing the power of god like the rich young ruler we have everlasting life we have the hundredfold power of God upon us in all things will provide all things. It doesn't matter what this world says and does. It doesn't matter a curveball comes down the line at us. But rather that we should set ourselves as servants of God to do His will, regardless what this world says. The order, the structure of the faith. God has given us marching orders. The commandments of God are this, that we would behold His Son, we would believe on His Son, and we'd follow His Son, regardless what comes. This is what the Lord, Lord has said. And blessed are those that do, for they shall truly see the power of God manifested. They will see the Lord at work. Verse 30, but many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. But uh, you, mis you may be saved. You may truly be born again saved. But to you, you try to control all things. You try to call the shots. You set yourself first. The first shall be last. Very little will you receive from the Lord. Very little shall you receive from the Lord, for for you're still trying to control your own life, call your own shots. You're trying to you are trying to be your own order. You're trying to set your own structure. The last shall be first. It would seem like the blessing of the Lord is upon these ones more than you. That the Lord see, it's almost like seems to favor these more. Not, but it's not about favor. It's that these ones have surrendered themselves and allowed the Lord to work that much more in their life because they have died to self. They've given up control. They've given up ownership. It would seem like they are favored first, but it's not about favor. It's about those who, those whom the Lord is able to use more. The Lord is able to use more because they have died to self. They have, they have given up all things. They don't care what other people think, whether it be family, friends, or coworkers. They don't care what the government says. They don't care about the pleasures of this life. Like John the Baptist. That's why Jesus put him as a great example. The greatest of all the prophets was John the Baptist. Because look, look, he couldn't care less about anything, even his own health. He put it all in the hand of God. He put it all in the hand of the Lord. 
that if there was a need, the Lord provided. If there's a need, the Lord provided. We see an order for the church, an order of salvation. We see the structure and the order of the family, of the father, the mother, the husband, the wife, of the parents, the child. There's an order of serving the Lord, an order of following the Lord. God is a God of order. He's a God of structure. And this is what the devil wants to destroy. This is what he wants you to ignore. He wants you to be fearful. The devil wants you to be afraid. He wants you to worry. He wants you to be the God of your life, the, the one who calls the shots. He wants you to, to try to uh, worry about and control and scheme and work at your health, your life, your sufficiency of, of, of everything. you got a plan and schedule and structure. Yea, hath God truly said. But what do we see in Matthew chapter 6? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Do not even worry about what to eat or drink or what you shall put on. The Lord provides all things. We see the blessing of the Lord that much more upon those that take the Lord seriously. To believe as little children. To come to him as little children. To seek his face. And what the Lord says, just take him at his word. The Lord loves it. He loves it when people come to him and ask of him. That's why it says the Lord beheld him and loved him, the rich young ruler, because he came to him and humbled himself and sought his face. And the Lord loves that. Many do seek the, seek to hear what the Lord has to say, but then they, they weigh it in the balances, and that is disrespectful. And what the Lord says is not to be weighed is to be believed what the lord says is not on trial it is to be be believed the lord is the not is not the one on trial we are this world is god is not on trial his word is not on trial his veracity is not on trial his word is above his very name and this is what the lord has said seek seek the face of god while he yet may be found to fall before him while we have time, surrender what time we have left, to surrender what we have left of our lives, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be born again saved, and follow him with all our might in everything that we do, even in eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God. And if any man sin, we have, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. We get up, we keep going. We follow the Lord. If we trip and stumble, we wipe ourselves off by the grace of God and keep going. Serve the Lord. This world will fight us. They'll curse us. They'll hate you because of me. You'll be persecuted by all for my namesake in this world. You shall suffer tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. God is not on trial. This world is. The world is condemned already because it has rejected him. And we must go carrying the message of reconciliation that we have been given and show them and tell them regardless what comes. With men, this is impossible. We say, well, it's impossible. I, I, y y it can't be done. How did the Christians survive in the time of Nero? How did the Christians survive all the persecutions down through time? How have the churches remained? How, how, how could it possibly be that the gospel of Jesus Christ could still be preached in this degenerate, disgusting, sinful, condemned world? 
But men, it's impossible. I can't do it. I can't do it. I have no power. You can't do it. No one can. But with God, all things are possible. He makes a way in the wilderness. He parts the sea. He gives sight to the blind. He strengthens the feeble knees. He confirms the weak ankles. He lifts up the hands that hang down. He gives us uh, the, the message to speak. He, he gives us the breath of life and lifts up our voice like a trumpet. It's his gospel. It's his word. It's him. We are nothing but the staff in the hand of God that he turns it into whatsoever he will. He is the one that controls all things. It's his power, not ours. His word, not ours. It's his gospel, not ours. It's his faith, not ours. It's his will not ours it's not that we seek to be first or seek to be the best it's not about that it's not about the it's the Lord is the one that rewards but in the end we even when we are given our rewards we give it back everything that he gives us the crowns and the treasures all the riches that he rewards us with we give it back we are not worthy we are not worthy he is king i am not he deserves the rewards i do not he may reward my faithfulness but i'm giving it back i don't want it everlasting life is sufficient that's all i want I want to live with him, to be with him. I just want to worship him for all eternity. I just want to do his bidding for all eternity. The world can mock me all they want for that. I don't care because he is God and he is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be praised. We're not in it for the rewards. We're not in it for the fame and the fortune. We're not in it for the pleasures. We're in it for Christ, for Christ alone. He is our reward. He is our crown of life. He is our breastplate of righteousness. He is our shield of faith. He is our sword of the spirit. He is our belt of truth. He is that which shods our feet with the gospel of the preparation of the gospel of peace. He is our breath of life. He is our bread of life. He is our water of life. He is our light of life. He is the one that gives us the strength to stand. He gives us uh, the ability to fight. He is the one that guides us in all things. He is our armor. He is our food. He is our light. He is our water. He is our life. He is our strength. He is our everything. He is our treasure, our joy, and crown. And that's all we need. He is our power. He is our word. He is everything. He is all things to us. What else could this world offer? Does anything in this life even come close? So why would you not want to forsake all of this world, of this life? Why would you not want to forsake all and follow him? Why and how could we possibly lift up anything in this life as equal to or more important than that. Many of us do that. We elevate things in our lives, our jobs, our family, and think cares and riches and things of this world as important, and we serve the things of this world. Why would we do that? It's not wrong to have a job. It's not wrong to have family and friends and hobbies and all this stuff. It's not wrong to have that. But when we start elevating it, we start diminishing the power of God because of it. We limit the time of service because of it. 
Do you want to be used by the Lord? Do you want to see the power of God manifested in your life? Do you want, do you want to see the sufficiency of Christ fulfilled? But forsake all. Follow him. Die to self. Watch God work. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. And all these things, what things? Whatsoever things you have need of will be provided. All these things shall be added unto you. This is what the Lord is getting at. There's a structure and order of discipleship. Structure and order of discipleship. And it comes by the word of God. That ye may be perfect. Ye may be perfect. The perfect sufficiency of God manifested in the life of one who dies to self. Matthew 19. So there you go, folks. Any comments, questions, issues, insights, be glad to hear from you. Go ahead, ask away. Uh, again, folks, thank you so much for joining in. If you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, give this a thumbs up, and make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell icon so we put up new videos and check all other videos. We've got tons and tons of other content and goodies, other uh, playlists of Bible studies and walkthroughs and everything else. Make sure you check it all out as well is check out our website christiancoffeetime.ca we have link there to our website which has links to all our other platforms and goodies and free downloadable gospel track pdfs make sure you uh, take advantage of that as well and get busy about serving the lord and getting the gospel out there all right uh anything in the comments here that i missed lots of comments oh my word uh hey good morning good morning how's it going uh, purely says do do we not look to the directions of the creator of the car to know how to safely operate the bible inspired by our creator is what we look to in order to know how to operate in this life amen exactly sunny day says uh, yes i have seen this in quotation marks don't worship the bible stuff going on uh, around out there this is full this is a full-on spiritual attack on the word yep that's right uh, mia says well, as an answer to my uh, today's prayer, as I was worrying about my situation, my husband, praise God for prayers answered. Amen. His word, the Lord's timing is never late. The Lord's timing is always perfect. Um, going down through, Mia says, Amen. My daughter Eden said today, quoting, Mommy, God told me that uh, people who love money go to hell, but people who don't love money go to heaven. Truth comes out of the mouth of kids. The love of money is the root of all evil. And the love of this world and the cares and the riches is worth the loving, loving of this world will, uh, will diminish your ability to understand and see the love of Christ, to see what the Lord has offered, to see what the rich, rich ruler here exactly like this. He loved and cared for his riches more than what the Lord Jesus was offering. And that this, this can happen and how hard it is for a rich men to enter into heaven. Again, doesn't mean that they can't, but that it uh, greatly diminishes their ability to receive that which is offered. Exactly, because they're in, no, they're in no need of gifts. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And But they have no need of gifts because they have everything. Exactly. So yeah, the mouth of a child. And going down through... Amen, amen. Lindsay says he was trusting in his own works instead of the blood of Christ's righteousness as atonement for our sin state. Yep. Uh, Sunny Day says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. 
but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's right, Revelation 3.17. Lindsay says, teaching my little ones this very day, their sins state and how Jesus Christ died for our sins to pay for them. That's right. Pure Lee says, amen, Lindsay, makes me so happy to hear. I'm going to say these things. It's our job to fix them, to fix them on our Savior. That's right. And going down through the comments here. Purely says, I heard the literal gates into Jerusalem were also very narrow. People had to remove stuff from their carts to enter. If that's true, it's one of those things which is literal and symbolic. Uh, yeah, there's some argument about that. No, the actual gates, there's regular gates, giant entry gates, and that that's the, uh, those are the main entry. They did have some, uh, uh, during the nighttime when they would close the gates to certain other little ones, but, uh, I don't believe that that's actually what the Lord is getting at. Uh, myself, there's some argument this. People have differing opinions on this. Uh, I think uh, what the Lord is talking about here is, but uh, the needle. Actually, you know what? We can settle this. Give me one second. That's verse 20. Matthew 19, 24. And this right here, and I'm not even looking at it. Um. Okay, so I have my uh, uh, Greek here in verse 24. Go through the eye of, of a needle. The Greek. Raphis. Raphis. I don't know how you. Raphis. 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 Means a needle. Um, akin to the base through, through the idea of puncturing to sew that which is used for sewing puncturing a needle needle so it's literally but the the eye of an actual needle sewing needle that's but what geez the the actual greek word that's what he's meant not actual like a gate but literally a sewing needle so it's raphis uh sewing needle is the actual greek meaning of the word there so it means sewing needle and so that, that just using that imagery a camel trying to get through the avenue a, a rich man to enter into heaven that's about how absolutely impossible it is that's why it says for men it, with men it's impossible because you see they could still get through the idea of if the needle gate was an actual gate they could still get through they still get through well that doesn't make sense then with what why would jesus then say it's impossible with men it's impossible it can't be done you can't fit a camel through the eye of a sewing needle it can't be done that's impossible but god can do it god can make a way god can see so that's that shows the absolute immensity of the power of god that he can alter all things and make a way like he did for nebuchadnezzar for example it was impossible this crazy pagan emperor who thought he was a god making people worship him and if you wouldn't worship him he would burn you alive you're this kind of a crazed individual god made it possible so it so again it's not a gate it's the actual eye of a sewing needle and that's the whole meaning behind of uh, why jesus said it's impossible yeah okay um Lindsay says, faith comes by hearing the word of God to save me from the woke agenda. <laughs> That's right. All right. So there we go. Um, 
so with that then i will wrap it up there that's the end of matthew chapter 19. so i hope this has been a blessing and a comfort and encouragement to you god bless you folks thank you so much for joining in really appreciate all your friendship your fellowship your prayers and your support so please keep praying for this ministry keep praying for the churches here in canada and uh, keep praying for yourselves as well that uh, we would all go forward as, as faithful witnesses surrendering to the lord forsaking all following him ignore everything else preach the gospel get the gospel of jesus christ out there for it is the gospel of jesus christ that fixes everything it is the gospel of jesus christ that fixes everything so get your nose in the book study it memorize it and start preaching it quoting it sharing it evangelizing it get busy about the lord for the time is coming the days are uh, uh, drawn short the time is coming to an end get busy uh, the lord will find you faithful so with that wrapped up there, thank you so much for joining. God bless you folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.